the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast via BBC Sounds. This week, Mick Lavelle is my special guest and we're taking your calls on everything from chrysanthemums, medlars and even lawns. We've also got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls. And this week, we start with Diane in Haybridge. Hello, Haybridge. And hello, Diane. Hi. Uh, Yes, my question is, um, I moved last year and I brought with me my late husband's croissants. And they're in curve ones and the spray type. Well, I cut them down during the week, but is this the time to divide them? Or Um, do I leave it to the spring? What sort of soil are you on? You, is it light soil or heavy soil? If you're on clay, I would leave it possibly until around about February. Or no, are they I'm on light soil? Are they? Are light... they all? Are they all in soil or some in pots? No, they're all in soil. They're yeah. in, okay. In the... if, if you're on a light soil, I'd, I'd recommend you can do them now because um, they, all you know, as soon as they really become dormant, I mean, uh, and just divide them up uh, because they. Um, a light soil will tend to be a little bit more droughty in the spring. I just think, as you know, in Haybridge, I know there's a bit of clay there in some bits, but there's a lot of sand, so that's why I asked. Uh, so, well, so, the, the flower bed that they're in, it's a raised bed, and, and it's had compost mixed yeah, in with if, it. Yeah, if, if it's free-draining, it'll mean they'll root in sooner and there'll be better plants in, in the spring. It, yeah. Just On a clay soil, I'll just explain why I asked that to anyone else who's listening. On a clay soil, if you put them in, they can be wet, and it can promote rot where you've cooked them, because obviously where right. you divide them, pull them apart, there's always going to be a little bit of injury to the plant. They'll get over it. But yeah, I would say December's an ideal time. Do it when it's mild. You know, today would be ideal if, if you if you think if you're to do feeling it today. Like yeah. It. Uh, don't do it when there's really going to be a lot of frost, or certainly don't do it when there's a frost or when the soil's frozen or waterlogged. It's just that my son wants some, so I thought. I didn't know whether to do it now or do it later. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, when you, when you divide them up, you're actually better, because chrysanthemums form quite a big clump they in do. the end. So when you yes, divide them are. up, you want yes. to, if you want them in the same sort of size space, uh, you, you're going to have some spare. What you want to do is uh, throw away anything more towards the centre, which looks like it might not have a lot of um, buds on it, and take the healthier stuff from the outside. And don't think you have to put a great big uh, clump back in because it will grow to fill the space in a couple of years. And they're already showing buds anyway. You'll see that they've got basal buds on them already. Yeah, be very pale growth, just below the ground level usually, yeah. Yes, well, that's where they are. I cut all the... the, because the the frost um, ruined them. Yeah, so let's finish them off now. I was was just going to say, did you get a good show, though? I had a beautiful show, yes. I was quite surprised because I didn't know how to look after them. Did my you... husband looked after them, and I mean they were his prize and joy. So I really had, I really tried hard, but uh, did I you... think I've learnt some mistakes. Um, did you have to cane the incurves, or were they? Did they f- uh, allow you to be freestanding? Were they? I had to cane them. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah they're quite heavy heads, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The thing that there was, there's so many buds on them as well. Um, so you did your disbudding, mm-hmm. did you? I did. I, Yes, I did buddies, and they were Good. lovely big heads, yes, so yeah. I was quite pleased. You sound like you've done all the right things, yeah, so, I mean, uh, if you're not sure about, you know, the, the technique to divide them, it's, it's all very well we're describing it on the radio, isn't it? it's not, you know, sort of, uh, not, ra- not radio gold <laughs> to sort of to try and explain it, so I think you're better off looking up, uh, if you look up on, online or get a, one of your gardening books, they'll show you how to do it, and it's, uh, it's, it's it, quite simple. It's not a difficult one, all right? No. 
Okay, lovely. Thanks so much for your help. Continue, continue to enjoy them. They are actually a, 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 a plant that actually is not, I would say it's not as popular at the moment, other than people who grow them, a lot of people grow them to show, don't they? No, exactly. And do you know the other thing is I was up um, in my... Um the northwest where I come from recently, and I saw some really, really good varieties of uh, asters there. And I think, I was like, oh, these look like new varieties. And I looked, I thought, no, it's just that we're not growing them in the south as we much don't. now. No. We've, some plants just have their uh, popular times. And you think what a, I mean, we talk a lot about dahlias today and how dahlias extend the flowering into, mm. say, November. I mean, a, a spray chrysanth often doesn't need staking, it can just yeah. sit there, divide it every few years, mm. and You've got a fantastic show, haven't you? Yeah, especially at this time of the year. Late flowering is really important for um, for beneficial insects. If you want plenty yeah. of um, hoverflies and things like that next year, you need to grow those. Uh, late butterflies, etc. But even more to the point, you know, just to make your garden look nice. It does. A bit of colour at this time of year, make, well, earlier on makes a lot of difference. We go to Bill Ricky now and talk to Eileen. Eileen? Hi. Um, my son wants a medlar tree for Christmas. So Fantastic. Can you tell me how one would sort of keep it all right for the winter? Medlars are they're totally hardy medlars. Yeah. Um, they are. They funny enough, they are becoming a little more popular than they were. They're right. they're. If I said they were old fashioned, am I right? Do you think Mick? They they're an old think, fashioned tree. Yeah, they are old fashioned. It, it, they were very popular at one time because of the, the paucity of fruits which you get yes. that time of the year. Because medlars are peculiar in the fact that it's only really about now that you can eat them. You have to wait till they almost go mushy. And this isn't really to a lot of people's taste. It's almost like a sort of uh, spiced apple sauce, I'd say. I mean, I, I, it's quite nice, but it, it is a bit oh, yeah. of a shock when you first yes, eat it. Yes, very them. different. Yeah. You can make good jellies. They yes, make a lot of yeah, good a lot, jelly. a lot of pectin in the fruit. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so, I mean, they, they were very popular. Of course, with the availability of all the different apple types and different fruit types now, and the fact that you just go and buy it from the supermarket as well, which was something which is a, a th- you know, thing of more recent times, they fell out of favour. But what, why they're being grown now generally is because they're, they're quite a good autumn colour. Okay. You know, they, they have a really nice uh, sort of uh, bronzy colour to them in the autumn. And so they've been uh, they've become popular again, but I think also maybe because people are looking for something unusual. And it's amazing how if you look through, if you were the sort of person that collected seed catalogues and you had them going back to the nineteen sixties, you would yeah. see plants appear and disappear and reappear. And that the claims and made, made about, about, yeah. about this new <clears throat> plant coming in, but you think, but hold on, if you look twenty years ago in your catalogue, you there. were offering that. You know, so there is a lot of fashions and trends where plant uh, supply is concerned. Now you'll find that on mail order, you're getting quite a small. Smallish tree. Mm. Has he got? Has his son got a largish garden? A medium-sized garden, I would say. You see, medlar can be controlled. It is controlled as not. It doesn't have to be a massive tree, does it? No. You can prune it and control it without you, you ruining can, it. You can. I always think it's best to put them somewhere where they are allowed to spread a little bit because yep. when they because they spread into at first sideways, they grow, but they? then they start to grow out and out and out over time, and that is when they become a really you know, cracking looking plant when they're allowed to do that there's a fantastic one on one of the lawns at Kew uh, where oh, there's yeah. a, a really big one on its own they've got a collection of medlars there uh, around um, trying to describe in the garden don't worry go around and have a look but um, yeah. it, there's one of them on its own it's just been allowed to spread and it's a really really good looking plant but it's quite some age you know they do live quite a while yeah. but you can if you want a if you want a bigger one 
you might have to go to a nursery or garden centre. I see. Rather, or, or you could go to a, a large, uh, was a large fruit supplier, or an Essex fruit tree supplier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how large the trees are that come from, from uh, you know, from people who are, who, you know, mail order. That's, yeah, so well, could you keep it in a pot at all? Ah, yes, no, you it can. Could for a, it could at first. I mean, uh, my my thoughts are that it's better off grown in the ground. Because uh, unless you've got what, a variety, which was actually uh, for a pot, because they will tend to become pot-bound is the problem if you uh, just try and grow them in a pot. So um, generally speaking, for the, just the Mespelis germanica, which is the species, it's better off in the ground. And yeah. the, the, the usual one is called Nottingham. Yeah. yeah. However, however, in fact, he's an Essex man, <clears throat> Will Sibley, who's developed so many different fruit trees on dwarfing for patio mm. work. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Fantastic guy, Will Sibley. Now, Will Sibley has developed one called Sibley's Patio Medler. Oh, right. Now, that's, that's, one for a pot, yeah. that's one that can go in a pot and it can wonderful medler jelly. Four-year-old tree will produce up to 30 medlers. And that, <laughs> and that happens to be from a company that I know who are called Pomona. Mm. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Yes, fine. There are other companies as yes. well. Uh, we must just say that, that there are other companies. Other of metal there are. Um, there's uh, Ken Muir is another yes, company indeed, yeah. that serves him, but uh, they are a nice crowd. Uh, that, uh, that company, so <laughs> they um, they grow some interesting fruits. And Will Sibley is such a fascinating guy. He's got a smallish garden. And he develops all these different um, varieties of, of dwarf fruits. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's intriguing. I find it intriguing that someone is so good at, at a job that they've done for all their life. You well, know. this is the thing about it's, horticulture. Is there, there are such a, a diverse range of things that people go into. You know, And uh, I find this with my old students. And I see what, find out what they're actually doing. They're always doing something that sounds a lot more interesting than me. <laughs> Yeah, there's a man, yeah, you could say, isn't that fascinating? It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, if you think that's their job, you know, I'm going to think what I'm doing is uh, is interesting, you know. So, I mean, it's, uh, we, we, we tend to, horticulturists are naturally curious, like to know what other people are up to, so. Plant of the Week. Well, this week I thought we'd be a little bit different because Mick Lavelle, who's my guest this week, worked as an apprentice in a specialist rhododendron garden, didn't you, in the Lake District? That's right, yes. Yeah, many years ago now, it seems, but it still seems fresh as yesterday. But that's what's important, is that in the, when you come into the industry, you never, ever forget some of those things that you learnt in that very early stage of horticulture. I think so. I, mean, I was very lucky. I worked for a, a really good head gardener who was um, really keen on uh, pushing the educational side of things. He encouraged me to go off and to do an HND and a degree, you know, just sort of not to hang around there, mm. just in city and guilds, you know. And um, But he, he was really, really keen on the, the subject, you know, and it came across when he talked to him. Now, we live in, you know, in Essex. Now, yes. Essex isn't a rhododendron area but can you get them to grow in Essex you, successfully you can I mean with anything horticulture is a modification of environments as much as anything and usually on a fairly local level I mean, the easiest way to get them to grow is to grow them in some specialist ericaceous compost in a container and grow them in light dappled shade and they will do well you need to have a container which is quite shallow and wide, so only sort of like like a third of a barrel, if you know what I mean. You know, but nice and wide. Don't get they don't, the roots don't go down very deep. They're very shallow rooted, so you need to top dress them and make sure that they're kept healthy. And maybe a good uh, 
dressing with sequestrine and try and water them with rainwater. So you could actually keep those tubs within a shrub bed, couldn't you, and grow shrubs around them? It's possible, yes. Obviously, if you'd want to hide the uh, container, if you use something which was uh, a dark colour and, and durable, um, obviously then that would be a perfect solution. Now, they come in all shapes and forms, and in fact, lots have been developed over the years, haven't they? They have. And I mean, obviously, if you're living in an acidic um, soil area of Essex, you can grow them outside, because they will grow quite happily outside here, as long as they're kept in uh, reasonably uh, moist, well-mulched, and um, in, in uh, so, so say, slightly dappled shade. The important thing with them is to make sure that you get the one which is right for the size of your garden, because we used to grow them I was right going to some <laughs> dwarf ones which will creep across a rock garden right the way up to ones which, things like rhododendron arboreum and rhododendron shilsoni, which will reach 30, 40 or more feet in height and a considerable spread. So it's important that you ask the question, but I mean, garden centres won't necessarily be selling many of the very large varieties, will they? No, I mean, even in areas where you can grow them with impunity, so like on the west coast and up in Lake district where I trained, um, you can't uh, always get the big ones because they, they're more of a specialist plant. Most of them tend to be in the sort of mid-range, but even those will reach uh, somewhere in the region of 14, 15 feet in height. And, uh, Over a period. Yeah, and they will spread quite considerably. And so, then the important thing is to make sure you've got one which is uh, maybe on a good rootstock or something <laughs> like that, because a lot of them are grafted. Uh, if you do get them grafted, um, the older ones used to be grafted onto Rhododendron ponticum. That's not done as much now, because although the rootstock's good, they start to sucker and it's a, it's a problematic plant. The one which we tend to use uh, now, which it's good to consider down here, because the soils aren't quite acidic enough, was an Incaro rootstock little bit more expensive for the plants but they it's slightly lime tolerant and all the problem with the the lime in the soil so if you've got a soil which is 5.5 or thereabouts if you if you've got a more slightly more alkaline soil you might want to consider I and mean, it's just ink 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 aro so just ink caro ink aro yeah but if you go and ask for it if it's on that sort of rootstock it should say so or if you go online the nurseries will sell them they would be better um, the one thing you can't get past is you need to make sure you have to keep them nice and moist. Lots of rhododendrons down in Essex, they tend to look very straggly, you know, short, uh, small amounts of leaves on the top of very long curling stems. And that's really because of drought. They need to be kept moist throughout the year. And just lastly, you can prune them hard if they grow. Uh, yes, again, now if we're on our own roots, this really isn't a problem. When, you, when you're pruning them back, if you get any growth at ground level and you're not sure that it's on its own roots, because they will tend to sucker when they're pruned back, you need to get rid of that uh, as a matter of uh, urgency, because that could be the rootstock growing, which is not the thing you paid for to put into your garden. So uh, prune them. Best thing is try and keep them, uh, prune them straight after flowering, try and keep them in a dome. A little and often is better than a lot infrequently. We're going to go now to the phones and talk to Jenny in Eastwood. Hello, Jenny. Good morning, Ken. Dave. Mick, sorry. Right. He answers to most things. Just don't call right. me late for my tea, I'll be all right. <laughs> right, OK then, I want to ask you about, I've got a dogwood, Coolness, one of the red stems. Yep. I'm afraid I don't know which variety, I know there's quite a lot of different ones. Hmm. Um, it's been in the ground probably for just under two years. Yeah. Probably about three to four feet. Tall. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I'm getting a lot of side shoots off the main stems. It's sort of looking a bit crissy crossy. And I'm just wondering how I can start stop it becoming a bit of a tangle. Right. So I mean, the, I... the main thing is really, it, there's, there's two, of all the varieties of dogwood, there's, there's only two major divisions you need to really be aware of. You've got the the ones which suck a freely from the base, so things like the, the yellow dogwood, which is the uh, Cornus um, Saint, Stol- Saint, Stol- 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 Stolonifera. I know it's, it's changed its name. I can't, it might be 
Ceracean, I think. But, but um, there's that one, which is the yellow one. And you've got the red dogwood, which is Cornus alba sibirica. And um, they tend to shoot from the base. Then you've got the other one is Cornus sanguinea, which forms a more sort of upright shrub. And it's With the, a clump. It's the, yeah, it's the small branches off that which you encourage. So you, you don't prune that down as hard. Now, unless you know... You don't have to know which variety it is, but if you've got one that shoots all the time from the base and has big, thick red stems coming from the mm-hmm. base, quite freak, quite often, very low down, that will be a Cornus um, Alba Sibirica. And that's nice and it's easy. Not, it's you, not an awful lot coming from the base. So it, you've got something more, more upright and small, it, it, wispy branches. They're all just, just sort of having lots of different shoots coming off them. They're looking a bit of a tank. Oh, so so I think it, no, yeah. I, I'm guessing, obviously, because I can't see the thing, but I'm guessing you've probably got Cornus sanguinea. In which case, what you need to do then is just really to sort of uh, to thin out what you don't want. And you tend to take out a bit of older growth, but you need to leave a main sort of frame of older branches because what, what happens, I guess, covered over in this sort of wispy covering of uh, new growth. So you're trying mm-hmm. to encourage that uh, to, to show. You don't want to cut too much of that out now. The trick with all dogwoods is you don't need to do anything now. They're not growing and they are showing. Okay, so, so enjoy. So enjoy them now. Do all your work around about late uh, February, early March, just before they come into to growth. So I can cut off some of this wispy stuff. I can take it down onto a thicker stem and take some of the other bits off. You, you yeah, can, but dear, but there's no rush because it's all looking good. What we're saying okay. is that so wait, wait till about February, March time. I would say oh so, yes, yeah, yeah. definitely because enjoy you, it. You, it won't affect the plant if you do it now. Yeah, the plant it, it will just be it okay. Doesn't, but, it doesn't yeah. look. But I, I like the sort of the straight, the looking a bit more straight, and it doesn't. But maybe it's never going to be straight. Well, you, you can prune it any time between now and March so right? if it, it is, but, it, but you might as well hang on to it if it's giving some colour but if it upsets <laughs> you if it upsets you Jenny yeah. just pop out yeah. there and cut the bits off you don't like the look of how about yeah. that okay that sounds like a good plan okay All right. thank you gentlemen all the best for the season to you thank, thank you, you. bye bye that's Jenny in Eastwood and we go to Norman in stock hello Norman hello how are you we're um, fine thank you very much for, for letting me put the question I've sown a small piece of new lawn. The mm-hmm. grass is only about three-quarters of an inch long. If it's frosty, should I cover it up? No. Um, the, the, the problem with lawn sown now is that the, um, the weeds tend to be a little hardier than the grass. Grass stops growing at below 5 degrees centigrade, whereas some of the weeds will, uh, will maintain going, a bit of growth, it? especially things like chickweed can, can grow as low as 3 degrees centigrade. So I mean, it's, it's uh, one of these things where... With lawns, what you need to do is, is not try and cover them up, not try and cosset them. You need to let them grow. Once the, uh, the grass gets to uh, around about two or three inches, the thing you want to do is if you've got a light roller, and the ideal thing would be if you've got a wheeled uh, uh, lawnmower with just the roller on the front, uh, just to go over and just lightly roll it. You just want to bend it over. You don't want to crush it or anything like that. It'll knock any stones into the surface or anything like that, which might get away of mowing. But only but, when it's dry. Yeah, when it's dry, yeah. But the, and the, the other thing is, though, it, bend, it breaks the grass stems, but uh, but not much, but it will encourage them to do what's called tillering, which is growing from the base. Yeah. And that's what you want to get a really good coverage. So okay. a really light roller over it, you know, I mean, it, it literally not, not very much at all. I mean, you could even sort of drag a heavy mat over it or something like that would, would do the same sort of thing. You know, and it's just to try and encourage it to grow. You don't do too much in the way of cutting it, and don't cost it. That, that grass has got to be hardy, so don't try and give it a false expectation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. No thank problem. You. Bye. Pleasure. Um, uh, we always like to mention that uh, oh, the number oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one, but also that there's a podcast of this program, uh, which can be. Uh, sought after in many different parts of the world (laughs) Um, and that's available usually mid-afternoon today 
I just wanted to, it's quite, I know it's praise, but it's quite interesting that how people have developed the, uh, I was going, the ability. I think it's people are changing the way they listen. And mm. there's a lot more people listening to the podcast. And this was one from a gentleman who said many years he lived in Essex and Suffolk, mm. listened to us regularly on Saturday mornings, um, and yourself and other experienced guests, several even household names now. An enjoyable and educational experience. A few years back, decamped to deepest Leicestershire. He, um, I won't say what he actually says because it's not very complimentary, but he didn't enjoy listening to gardening in Leicestershire, let's say that. Yeah, um, I recently I've returned to BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. A welcome return to excellent information-packed programme. Well done to you. Uh, everybody wishes for the future of the programme and to yourself, of course. And that's from Roger Bord, Borden uh, in Melton Mowbray. Well, we aim to please. And he's, he's one of many <laughs> yeah. that are using the podcast. We get people from America, Buenos mm -hmm. Aires. Yeah. I had somebody from the other week. It's, it's fascinating to think that uh, now gardening is available across all parts of the world and via BBC Essex, well, which indeed, is really yeah, good. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, here's a question for you. Um, I have some old bed sheets and <laughs> towels to dispose of. Right. Can I put them into my compost bin? If so, what is the best way to go about it? Jane. Now, actually, some of those could go to the homeless, actually, couldn't they? I suppose so, yeah. I mean, I'm it, not being no, indeed. dramatic. I mean, the, the, Would they be better to the homeless than, the, than in a compost bin? My, my sort of uh, thought on this would be yes, really, because the, although the towels, I'm presuming the towels are cotton towels, mostly they are, the bed Usually sheets are, are normally now, not many people sort of go for the, uh, the old uh, London uh, nylon store that used to uh, no. advertise in the 70s. You know, so. But they're a mix of material, aren't they? But yeah, uh, this is the thing. Sheet. If you've got uh, other uh, things in there, they might not... Um, if it was rayon or something like that, that is a cellulose-based thing. That will break down. Right. They don't break down quickly. And um, it's... I've got to be honest with you. It's the first time I've ever been asked if you Well, it is me. I've, I've not come. I thought I'd throw that one at you, Mick, because that's yeah, one well, that I don't know. I mean, in theory, because it's a plant fibre, I mean, the, the answer should be yes, because, it, I mean, if, if there were no other use for them, supposing they were in such a state, uh, I'm not making any suggestion about the quality of the bed uh, clothes, but if they were in such a state that they could no longer be as serviceable... But I wouldn't put them in whole. I would tend to sort of you want to cut them up into strips or something like that. And they would have to really go into a, a composting cycle, which would be a bit longer than normal. That said, you know, if you turn in your theory, compost regularly and they're not very big it should work. bits, it should work. But, I mean, it's one of these sort of watch these space things. I mean, she, she could always try it and then uh, come back to us and say, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> or oh, what a brilliant compost. They I are, Jane. <laughs> You've got two lots of jobs there. You give it to the give them to the homeless or try... Or both, mm. and let us know what you do because Jane, we'd like to know. Mm. Um, I've given you the number to call. You can text just as Jane has on eight one triple three. Start your message with the word Essex. Uh, I'm going to go back to something that I know Mick will, I'm sure, answer because Mick's past will catch up with him. Uh, hope you're well. I'm having a problem propagating my mum's camellia. Yeah. It's a variety <laughs> that was has. Raspberry ripple pattern on the petals was originally my great-grandma's, so it's going back a bit, this one. I've been trying to propagate it for over 12 months. I've been trying to do this with cuttings. All the usual stuff, 6 to 8-inch cuttings, removing leaves, lower part, 
cuttings with clean knife, dipping in rooting powder, covering with clear plastic bag. Every single one has turned dark brown. The leaves fell off each time I'm trying to take more cuttings. I don't understand where I'm going wrong. Nearly all the plants in my garden are propagated from cuttings. Do you have any suggestions? Should I try something like air layering? I would have tried ground layering, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, so rather than air layering. Air layering, air layering. Is a, is a, it's a bit of an odd one, really. because it, 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 it could work. Yeah, and it sometimes works here, but it's a bit hit and miss. And some, it's, it's often done on tropical plants, things like particularly um, uh, avocados. Yes. And, um, oh, what's the other one that's done on in India? Ficus. You can do it on ficus, yeah. yeah. There's another food plant that's done on, but I should, we'll come to... Uh, I think it's... Anyway, but, not, not really matters. But I was all... I mean, in, talking about past you know in your yeah. past because you had a lot to do with this sort of plant yes um i was always taught in my apprenticeship that yeah. you layered them you see yeah there, and there, that we used to in parks departments we would layer camellia now, if you were gonna grow because you just want another plant for yourself layering Which is, there. is what i was gonna say i was gonna say it's much easier it is you only have to sort of really just you don't have to I was just sort of nick sort of, it you nick it or you can just scrape a little bit of the bark at the bottom just to expose the what we call the cambium tissue so a little nick in there just a slight uh cut in with a knife what a couple of pin couple of round pieces of wire you yeah, pin it down wire. into the ground yeah and then the, the, when you fill the soil in around it, don't fill in with just the soil that it's come from. Mix a little bit of um, compost and or grit in there, just to make sure that there's plenty of air around. So the Would you use an ericaceous compost for that? Or um, not one? It think, doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter. Leaf mould would be yes. m- m- would be the one I would, if you have it, you know, or if you need you know, an ericaceous compost, possibly. But, I mean, the, 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 the real uh, thing is here, if you want to grow a lot of them, Obviously, then that's when you, uh, layering isn't economic from the point of view of uh, professional horticulture. And what we do is we take semi-ripe cuttings in around about June or July, and you have to wound the cutting, okay? Uh, and uh, it's a peculiar one with camellias because you wound it, and sometimes they make what's called a callus. So you keep them. We try and put them under mist uh, at the university, but obviously, if you haven't got that, uh, closed, you can a miss them. Tent, can't you? you can miss them. Put them under a yeah. plastic tent or something like that. So air gets in, but not. So put a plastic bag. And an elastic band around it, it makes it just too humid for them. So just cover it lightly with plastic, mist them a few times through the day. And um, they sometimes they don't root, they don't seem to root. And you look at them, they've got this peculiar little brown bit at the bottom, and that's called a callus. And sometimes they over callus, particularly when you use rooting hormones, which you really need to on them. So you need to then wound the callus to encourage them into growth. What, can a, be just little, touch it with a knife? Just just very lightly cut a little bit of it off, to, again, to expose the, uh, the cambium underneath. And they can be a little bit slow to root, but that's the, that's the only time of the year you'll really manage to do them successfully, is, is if you do semi-ripes around about um, June, July time. Preferably June, as soon as the wood starts to get a bit firmer. Um, but yeah, but layer them. If you just want an odd one, layer. you could do four or five around a plant easily. How many camellias do you need? need unless you need a forest of them, you know, you can, uh, you can, that's the best way to do it. Thank you, Eleanor, for that. That uh, is um, an interesting question, which has... Uh, has uh, come up so yeah um last year i bought a lovely christmas tree it had such a nice shape i decided to try and keep it going in the garden and bring it in again this christmas it survived well but didn't get any taller are the ones i see it's my armchair gardener again i didn't read the end did i 
Are the ones made in Hong Kong particularly slow-growing variety? Chris, the armchair gardener, he's a comedian. Right, let's move on from that, shall we? Now, Frida from Southend, she's uh, texted us as well, and her, her worry is that all her daffodils have come up already. She's not the only one. Well, have, that, you, that, have you got them in your garden up, or, um, or do you not have many? Not, not in my own garden at home. I don't have many bulbs in there. But yeah. um, at the, uh, the university, we, we got um, certainly, especially on the warmer, what we call the south border, which is on the south of the main building, which is a sort of largely paved area, and we've got a border there. And the daffodils, the leaves must be, well, I'd say about you know, eight, ten inches out of the ground. What you won't really see at this time of the year is the flower buds coming up. They the sit, flower sit bowed, they, don't they? They tend to sit low, yeah. So sometimes they'll send up some leaves because they can actually uh, manage to, to make something of it. There are a few varieties which um, will make it up and flower before Christmas, but not usually in Essex. It's usually uh, more over in the West Country uh, where you'll get these. But, I mean, um, it's it's nothing to worry about. Um, what you certainly don't need to do is start thinking of any protection or anything. There was a stone hardy. And the interesting thing is sometimes when the leaves come up and then we get, if we get a cold spell, um, what will happen is that when the flowers come up, we actually come up on a taller stem. This has happened a couple of times over about the last 20 years I've been in Essex. And um, certainly one year we, we actually made the national headlines having the, the, the tallest uh, daffodil in the country, according to, to us. Uh, and then we got all these people outraged from all over the country who got taller ones in their gardens, you know, but... Uh, it's, it, it is um, one of these things, you don't worry about it. Bulbs are really from areas where it's uh, they, they flower in the winter period. Uh, we tend to think of them as spring bulbs because we have a harder winter than the area those plants come from, but they're, they're perfectly fine. John into Great Dunmo thought that that was a Rudibeckia. Mm. It looks like a Rudibeckia. This is coming on an email. I'm, I'm wondering whether it's one of these Helianthus. It, some, I some, think it's Helianthus, isn't it? There are some perennial ones which send up uh, stems with multiple flowers on, none, none of which uh, spring to mind in terms of a species. There are I'll, a number of them. I'll we, just describe yeah. it. It's a yellow, basically a yellow multi-petaled flower yes, yeah. with a brownish sort of centre, yeah, yeah. Um, which we do think of Rudibeckias, yes. don't we? That's the problem, and he's obviously thought it was a Rudibeckia. Yeah, Rudibeckias usually have a sort of little kind of um, a, a, a raised, the, the, the capitulum, which is a bit in the, the middle, in which the is middle. actually like a flower, I believe Sticks it or not. out, doesn't it's, it? It comes out in a sort of cone shape, yeah. yeah which is when, why it's often called a cone flower. Yes, indeed, yeah. <laughs> and that one looks like it's got a flat capitulum, yes. more like a daisy, which is much more characteristic of Helianthum, uh, Helianthus. Sorry. And so, because we, if you think about the sunflower, Helianthus annuus, which is the sunflower, if you think about the shape of that flower, they're very much like that, but they've just got a, it's got a smaller centre and longer petals relative to the, the flower. And I think, because I did have one in the garden a number of years ago, a perennial uh, Helianthus, and uh, I've forgotten the species name now, and it did well for a few years, and then, unfortunately, uh, the, an unstoppable march of my bananas and palms has <laughs> gradually uh, forced it into uh, extinction. <laughs> and, in fact, it's interesting, because his final line is, I'm pretty sure it's not a sunflower, but it comes from the sunflower family, doesn't it? And that's yeah, well, the problem. Yeah, well, now, the sunflower family, well, here's a thing. Because the Asteraceae, there are 21,000 species or more in of the Asteraceae. Yes. <laughs> so you think, well, we may ne- just getting it down to the family isn't always exactly. uh, the, the, the end of it. That's, so. And that's the problem, isn't yeah. it, with plants? That they have yes. some of them have vast families. Yes, indeed, yeah. So they are. That's hopefully sorted you out in uh, John in Great Dunmo. We'll be back to those questions in just a little while. But now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, um, Mick has got some top tips on what you could be getting on with at the moment. Well, now's the time when you start to think about those gaps in the borders and what you might want to put in, or possibly sort of hoping to uh, to get some propagation material from one of your friends' gardens. 
root cuttings are a thing you can do this time of the year. Root cuttings can be taken from a number of plants. The ones which classic ones, things like the bascom for the like, perennial, not the biennial yep. uh, mullains, phlox, and also uh, the papavers and the oriental poppies, things that are big, like Marcus Perry types and salmon pink ones. They can all be taken from cuttings around about this time of the year. You need to take a cutting which is a good thick root. The thicker the root, the more food there is in it. And the reason why we take them now, if you take them later in the winter, the plant started to use some of that store of food to keep itself alive. Because although it's dormant, it's still alive. Take them now. The trick is to put them into a box. You lay them down on the top of the compost, cover that, just with some paper or something like that, just to keep it moist or just a, a sort of sheet over it. Leave them there for a couple of weeks, and then we insert them the right way up into the compost. That's important. Yeah, and you do. So when you take the cuttings, the uppermost part of the root is cut flat. The bit that was going down into the ground is cut at a a, a sort of slanting angle. Then you'll always know which way to put them into the pot. And they just grow on from there. Do you have to? How long do you have to leave them in that situation once they've? Well, in, I mean, inserted. Once you've inserted them into the pot, uh, yeah. my, my tip would be to put them into a, a reasonable size pot. You know, I can, uh, you can put a single one in a nine centimetre pot, something like that. But if you put a slightly bigger pot, you can put three of them in there. You'll get a bigger plant sooner. Once they've been inserted upright, so you only lie them down for, like I say, for about yeah. a week or two. Once you insert them upright, they will actually start to grow in the spring. You'll see small growth on them. Don't expect a big plant in the first year. You know, you've really given this some serious surgery. So, so you're leaving them until spring. Yes, yeah, so you leave them until spring. They'll start into growth. Water them, treat them normally, pot them on if needed through the uh, the year. You can probably plant them out by the autumn, I would have thought, really. It would have been an ideal time. Early autumn, so they'll root into the ground, and you'll have a good display hopefully next year. Now, are there any other cuttings you can take at this time of year? Yes. Now, uh, hardwood cuttings are another one. Now, hardwood cuttings, they are just basically... Sticks. Sticks, yeah. (laughs) From a deciduous yeah. uh, shrub, lots of them can be done. You can try anything. Not everything will work. I mean, the obvious ones, I've just made, noted down things like Berberis, Budlia, Salix, Forsythia. Ribes uh, uh, Ribes, yeah. yeah. So blackcurrants are ones which are co- yes, classically done one. this time of the year where you, you prune off some big... What you want is pencil thickness stems, good clean wood, no blemishes, not too many side growths or anything like that on it from this season's growth. So something which has grown this season. When you cut them, they need to go to about, let's say, somewhere between around about 20 to 25 centimetres, so mm. 9 and 12, 9, nine to sort of uh, 11 inches, something like that. Slant the cut at the top. Right, and this one. Now, yep. I said the root cuttings were slanted at way. the bottom. This shows you which way it is, because some uh, plants, is really easy to see the buds, but it, you'd be amazed how easy it is to put the things in the wrong way, especially if you're doing a few of them. And the way that I normally do them is I bundle a few together, about five or six together, I put them in some very free-draining compost, using a long-tom pot or something like that, and just put them into a shady place, and you leave them like that until next autumn. It's, now, the important thing is you take these cuttings... After leaf drop and before bud burst. So December is usually the time when you can really start to take them. And, of course, if you look up online or look up any of the books or the RHS side, those things, like that, they'll show you the process. But the tip I would give you is now is the ideal time to do them. I used to just put a spade in the ground and open it up you and can, then put yeah. a bit of gritty sand in and then push them in with it and spray Tread it back. Absolutely. That worked quite well. Yeah, it well. does. Yeah, with some of the ones that are easy to take, it yeah. will do. Uh, they'll do very well. I mean, obviously, you can get things like garner bins. I've constructed in the past where you put these things in. Uh, so you can actually put them into the ground. You say you can line them out and grow them on for a year. You can put them in a uh, sun tunnel, a, a low. Um, uh, polytunnel, yeah. something like that. There's all sorts of ways you can do it. But it's, it's, the thing is, we need cold now until around about February, and then, we need, then as it starts to get warmer, they will start to grow. 
The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Geraldine in Willingale, she has got some aconites she wants to still put in. Now, they're actually quite early flowering, aren't they? Yeah, now they are something which you can expect usually by January as, as almost a standard. I mean, it's it's unusual of them to not really have sort of come into flower by the end of January, hence the name winter aconite. Um, for those that don't know them, they're a, they have a... a a leaf which looks a lot like a sort of monkshood type of it leaf, does, like the aconite. But the flower itself is like a little buttercup. But it's pretty much in, welcome in the, that time of the uh, year. And when they when they and they spread quite freely, don't they? They do. If they find themselves in the right, what they like is a nice sort of um, reasonably free draining but moist, organic, rich soil. So underneath trees and shrubs is ideal for them. If you let the leaves fall and uh, make up a good uh, soil underneath them, and they. They really are bright, and they open up, of course, on a sunny day, and it's really eye-catching. They're usually a little bit before uh, most uh, snowdrop varieties. Now, the other, she's got another bit that she puts on, though. However, she's plagued with rabbits. Yeah. And what yeah. can she do if she plants them under the trees? The only thing, uh, you could peg wire over them, could you? You possibly could, yeah. They're, yeah. they're devil. Yeah. They love bulbs, don't they? They do rabbits, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm Roots, very, I'm very ambivalent about rabbits. My, my kids have got a couple of rabbits, and I, I saw like, the only two rabbits on the planet I could really got any time for, to be honest. Well, they they just eat anything, don't they? <laughs> they do, yeah. I mean, As it goes into winter, yeah. I mean, there's not what they're used to looking for, and they'll eat and no. chew bark and everything, yeah, won't they? I mean, a, a couple of years ago, it was pointed out by a colleague of mine that he said, I haven't seen this for years in Essex, and it, when the snow had been high in yep. 2010, and there was a white line across all young trees where they'd gone and nibbled the bark at the snow line, and of course it all melted, and it looked like they'd um, all found, you know, the, the gourmet rabbits going for a particular level of mm. uh, bark on there, but it's all they could find. They, they have to eat, they have to eat organic matter, uh, uh, green matter, and they will eat whatever they can, so They'll nibble on uh, bark a lot in the winter. Well, there's actually not much. I mean, I always remember people, People, in fact, in the past have said, you know, they're, they're on particularly in cemeteries, you know, mm. what can I put in that the rabbits won't eat? There's not much. Daffodils, actually, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, or the plastic Christmas tree. Or the, the armchair gardener. The, the armchair gardener, <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Very true indeed. Yeah. We're going to go to chrysanthemums again and talk to Nigel in Harwich. Uh, hello, Nigel. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, what? it's funny enough, you reminded me of something when the first lady spoke of chrysanthemums. Yes. My wife has bought some small, miniature chrysanthemums in a pot, 12 mm-hmm. by 12. Yep. They're, they're white, yellow and red. She, she bought these from a supermarket or a florist or garden, something like that, yeah? Uh, I really, yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but that sort of thing, yeah, they've come straight from a shop, yeah. Now... Before you go on, just to say that they are probably treated with um, uh, so, uh, with, a, with a growth regulator. Yeah. Okay, with like Pacbutazol is the one which is used commercially. And, okay. um, so they'll be a dwarf variety, but they've been made to be very dwarf. And they've also been grown in, in uh, conditions which will get them to flower. You can, you, if you can control the day length with chrysanthemums, so you, they've got to have uh, certainly got to have, uh, the days have got to be getting shorter. So you can actually well, get these. Just, that's that's why you get them for. Go on. They, they're very small flower heads. Yes, yeah, yeah, there will be a dwarf variety, but the thing is, they're probably one which has been developed for glasshouse culture. 
Like I say, because okay. you can get them all through the year. If you think about it, the, the chief time for chrysanthemums, you think about Mother's Day, because you want to get a, a pot mum for Mother's Day. <laughs> Which is balmy. It's the wrong time of the year, because Mother's Day's in March. We should have put March, we should have put Mother's Day in September to make it easy. <laughs> Horticulture is going not to be beaten. We've worked out how to uh, manipulate the growth, and we can produce those for that time of the year. But we have specific varieties. So, However... Uh, yeah. However, you you do you want to try putting them in the garden? Is that what you're asking, no, Nigel? No, it, it was such a lovely. It's only in the, in a small smallish pot, twelve by yep. twelve, and there was like white. Now they're turning pink. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful display of flowers mm-hmm. for the everything else. We just don't know how to look after it for the winter. Right. Well, for the winter, just treat them like a pot plant. Just so, just uh, deadhead. Just deadhead them. Dead Water head. them sparingly. Don't let them dry out. They don't want to dry out. They're not like some, some house plants. And they need to be in a really sort of quite cool environment. So if you've got um, a room which is on minimum heating sort of thing, with a, you know, like a sort of a, an, out, an outhouse. An outside greenhouse. Like, an outside greenhouse is ideal. Because just keep the frost off them because they're a bit ten- more tender than some of the, uh, the outdoor varieties because they've been bred, like I say, specifically for glasshouse culture. Start okay. to water them in the spring, feed them, and you should get another display in the autumn. But I think keep them outside in the greenhouse so that they actually get the, the, the long days going into short days. And when they come into flower, bring them in then. Oh, OK. So not Next. leave them out over winter? Not not out in the garden, no, because it might be a bit hard for them. Like I say, some of these varieties are, are a little on the tender side. So just, But a cold greenhouse is ideal. You don't want them to be warm in winter, but you don't want them to be frozen solid. No, OK. All right. No, that because it looks so lovely, and, yeah. and we want to try and do it for next year. Well, it will, do. and then well, after next year, you can always uh, grow bigger. Though, you, yeah, you, you can divide them, uh, divide that uh, next winter because there'll be lots of plants. plants. Yeah. There'll be several plants in there. There will be. They'll yeah. stuck about five cuttings in a pot, probably. Yeah, that's a standard. Oh, okay. All right. No, thank you. That, that and uh, can you, can, good. I, Nigel? I'll get my wife to do that. Nigel, <laughs> come back to us next year and let us know how they're getting on as well, because you'll be able to tell us what they've grown into, because they won't necessarily be quite like they are this year. Indeed. <laughs> no, I have to say the display this year has just been absolutely tremendous. That's good. But yeah. We want to keep it. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. why not? Why not? <laughs> you know. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much indeed. That number to call, just as Nigel has from Harridge, is 0800 4041. There's a line free at the moment, and you can text us 81333 and put Essex on the front. And Beryl in Hornchurch has uh, has given us a question, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, so she wants to know about apple pruning. It's like what it always oh. comes up now, isn't it? I mean, she said she's got an apple Do tree she bought a couple of years ago. So she, she hasn't done it for a couple of years? No, she bought it a couple of years ago. It's been growing, but she's worried about pruning it. Now, and don't, I mean, seriously, I know you often say, go to an RHS book and look at it. Have you yeah. ever written one on pruning? No. Uh, you That's know, I good. Have, I, I, no, I, I haven't written an RHS book, but I have written about pruning apple, and it is such a difficult it's thing to, to write down, because there's so many different variants of what you might do. And you try and produce these diagrams they don't before work. and after and, you, and your own tree never looks like the one that's no. in the book does it i mean the, the, the main thing <clears> is really what you want with apples you don't want to be trying to take too much off them at any one time apples flower on what we call spurs now they will form these naturally what you need to do is you need to try and work out the dimensions you want to keep it to so long growth which comes from the tip you shorten back and what you're after is side shoots and you shorten these back uh, around to about um uh, you know, one or two buds, uh, and then make sure the buds in the direction you want it to grow the next year. And these will start to then form flower buds in the following year, these side spurs. And you just say, shorten these back, okay? Um, and if you've got 
<clears throat> don't don't get tree to get too big. You just limit the, uh, the the amount of outward growth and upward growth. Now then, that's when it becomes complicated because you've got all sorts of things like, do I want a pyramid? Do I want an old-fashioned goblet shape? Do I want this? Um, but pruning apples is fine this time of the year. Okay, what you do though, always remember the D's: dead, dying, diseased. That can come out. No problem with that if it's if you know it's dead, and dying, you, or diseased. And if your tree's really old and it's got canky, you have to leave most of that because that's the only one bits it flowers and fruits on. I've seen some of those yeah. as well. And then, yeah, the other thing, of course, is that is you've got crossing growth. Uh, oh, you've yeah, got you rubbing growth. Out, cut, cut growth. So you can do an awful lot on, in terms of pruning, which will be beneficial for the tree, which actually has nothing to do with shaping it up. And then you can decide what shape you want to have it in. But my, my least favourite would be sort of like what most people tend to do is like the lollipop shape, which uh, tends to re- reduce the amount of fruit. Pyramids are done because you get a good outside edge for the ripening. The old goblet shape was a, a technique. It's not practised much now, where you actually get a bowl in the middle where the fruit sort of ripens and it catch, it keeps the air still and it's supposed to that's, ripen sweeter. That's if you're able to prune it to that but, shape. But that course. is a, quite an art to do that, yeah. Now, the other thing, of course, if you've got wall-pruned ones, it's not the ideal time to prune them just yet. Wall-trained wall, 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 um, things, you need to leave those a little while. When do you do those? About, I'd say February, March time for those. In the Any reason? You just said that. Now, I'm looking at your face thinking, well, hang on, you've, we've just said you can prune your fruit trees now, and then we say, ah, oh, but walled ones we don't do now. So why, what's the difference? Uh, well, the thing is with the wall, it's... <laughs> It's all got to, yet. Yeah, it, I mean, this is the sort of received wisdom. You, you just don't do them this time of the year. You do them a bit later. Uh, I think the, the problem with the wall uh, train ones is it tends to be a bit warm. We sometimes come into growth really early is the problem, where they're warm. And if you took them back to just, you know, ruthlessly to a couple of buds and they grow, oh, you, you might get, get new growth. Get, yeah, you might get some new growth prematurely on them. Is, is the best answer I can give you without then thinking, good point, need to maybe check on that one. You know, but but I, and I do know that they, they recommend doing those a bit later. So that's if you've got them as a fan or something like that. Free-grown cordons or stepovers, you would probably be all right doing those now. Okay. And, of course, while we've been talking fruit trees, Jason in Bobbingworth has, has uh, texted in, and he has said, hang on, though, he said he had somebody prune his uh, tree last year, and they did all what we've said, cutting, you know, the mm. dead, the dying, and all the crossing stuff out. He said they did what you've said. Then they shortened all the growth. Mm. But I didn't get any apples this year, and someone has told me that's because it was a tip bearer, and we've just said shoots, side shoots. Side shoots, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are different varieties of them. But, uh, so I that makes about, it even more about, confusing, doesn't well, it? Well, can I say about apples last year, we had a whole uh, old orchard at the... Uh, we've got a, an orchard which we're currently sort of trying to revamp as a sort of conservation oh, yeah. area. yeah. And there's hardly any apples on last year. But if you cast your minds back to last winter, there was hardly any really heavy frosts. Right. Um, so apples, that affects things Apples as well. need to have a, uh, quite a long period of uh, cool weather, very cool weather, and preferably some frost in order to initialise the, uh, the flowering, to make the flowering happen at the same time. It was very erratic for fruit this year. But I'm going to go back to this tip bearing. How do yeah. you tell whether your fruit well, you have is to a know tip? What, you have to know what the variety is. I don't think there's a way. I, I can't off the top of my head say that I could look at Can an you apple. look at a fruit bud? I mean, they are thicker, aren't they? They are, yeah. You'd see where they are. I mean, the, the fact is that some varieties will form the spurs naturally. And like I say, you're encouraging, well, the pruning I recommended before, you're encouraging um, Side the, growth, the, really. the, the sort of development of spurs. But they will happen anyway. So you tend to get this sort of like spiky look on uh, bits of branches which are two to three years old. So I would say spiky, sort of odd little um, shoots off the side. And that is uh, a, good, a good indicator. But, I mean, um, 
it helps really if you know the variety from the word go. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails in just a little while, but finally let's have some top tips from Mick. Okay, well, this is the time of year when we assume everything's gone dormant, isn't it? So we, we do uh, indeed. We put that lawnmower away into the, uh, the shed and we think, well, we can ignore that until around about March. Um, it's been a, an increasing feature of the British winter that we have to mow lawns in the winter, or, or if we don't, we do so at our peril. Mowing lawns in winter isn't the same as mowing them in the summer, of course. All it really means, you, for a lot of people, they rarely just the height of the cut of their mower. Um, what you want to do is put onto the highest cut that you can, and so it's as high as you can, and just go over and just take off the mess at the top. Okay, so the long You're tipping it, yeah. basically. Aren't yes, you don't want to take too much off it. You're controlling the height of it. You're not actually trying to encourage growth. It will help the, uh, the grass to be more uh, frost tolerant as well. Uh, if it does get burnt at the tips, obviously you can take those off, keep it looking greener through the winter. So a high cut, and do that as many times as it's needed. And people say, how many times should I cut my lawn in the winter? And you think, well, it really depends on what sort of a winter we have. If you get a really cold winter... Not very not often. Not at all, yes. <laughs> but in a very... Uh, not, below, below 5 degrees centigrade, grass stops growing. Above that, it starts growing, albeit re- reasonably slowly. So, so important to keep it cut. Keep, yeah. Dry weather, don't do it in wet weather, and definitely Absolutely, not yeah. in frosty weather. No, never in frost, no. Okay. <laughs> what else we got then? Well, talking about dormancy, of course, houseplants. Oh, yes. yes. Now, house they pl- slow down, don't they? <laughs> they do. Now, there's a, a few exceptions to this. We've got things like the, the typical Christmas plants, and I, I'm not going to talk about poinsettias and Christmas cherries and things like that now. They've probably been done to death already by other guests. Um, but... Most people have a house plant which they'll keep, you know, year in, year out. You know, some treasured uh, plant, which or, or in many cases, a number of them. This time of the year, these plants are often subtropical plants, so they don't have a natural dormant season, but the low light means that they actually start to slow down. They're going, they're being enforced to be dormant. So you need to reduce the watering a little bit. It's a real mistake that many people make. It doesn't mean you have to dry them out to the stage where the compost shrinks away from the, the edge of the pot but really sort of water them sparingly. Until about February, the light level's dead. You'll see the plant will start to want to grow and you'll start to be able to water it more, start feeding them in March. So this time of the year, really ease off on the watering on your houseplants. This is a picture of a shrub. Now, it's very difficult to identify a shrub in winter unless you can positively recognise the bark. Now, yeah. this is or, from... Or sometimes the buds. But or I mean, the yeah, buds. Yeah. But in this case, it's not. It's Rob. Now, Rob... Backing up on the story, it's from last week. Um, he is in his parents' garden. He'd mm-hmm. like one in his garden because it brings him back sort of memories yes, yeah. of his uh, younger years. Um, and can he move it? Well, I think the, the moving it may be looking at the, the size of the shrub. It. it looks quite old. Having said it's that... It's very old. It's I mean, it could be 20-odd yeah. years old. But the thing is, what we, what we could recommend is that although I don't know quite what it is, I can't identify it from the picture he's sent, you could always try doing some hardwood cuttings of it. You could, This you? time of the year is an ideal time for it. could be a tamarix, could it? Uh, possibly. There's a few things which have no, that sort of shedding. No, it's be browner. Yeah, yeah no. they, you, know, you have very whippy uh, young uh, sort of tips as well with lots of buds on, the very clustered buds around. So, But um, it's difficult to see from the picture, in fairness. So if you get uh, some reasonably thick sort of growth, for as, as, sort of almost as thick and as healthy as it gets from l- this season's growth that's just been laid down, 
and takes cuttings of that. You can put that into either into a pot in some gritty compost. It needs to be inserted to two-thirds of the right. length of the cutting. And the cutting needs to be around about 9 to 11 inches long. That's an okay. idea, isn't it? Yeah, and you can put those into a pot and then just keep them outside in a shady, uh, slightly shady area, sheltered area. Or alternatively, if your soil's reasonably light, you can just make a little trench, put some additional compost and gritting there and fill that back in. Um, if it's something which will... You know, yield to that treatment. They should root by next autumn, which time they could be transplanted. It's it, fu- it's, isn't it strange? You look at a plant like that and you think, yeah, it must be. You see, it's, it's growing a bit like a lanistra, but it's got no leaves on it. Yes, yeah. Lanistras yeah. do just that, don't they? Indeed, yeah. Because, like but it would have leaf on it. And it's it hasn't reminiscent got any of leaf. a few things, including Budlia was one of the ones where I looked when I first saw the shedding bark on it, but it's, um, it's, it's not just, it's, it's not a Budlia, it's not a Wisteria, and you think, whoa, what is it? <laughs> very, very irritating indeed. But yes. sorry we haven't come up with. With your a perfect answer on that, but that's one. Now, just going back to Roger, who was talking about his chrysanthemums, he said he forgot to ask, um, the chrysanthemum was yellow, now half maroon and white. Any idea why? Just why would some, it ch- some flowers just change colour as they get older. It's, uh, it, it's probably something which has been selected, you know, when they've, they've, they've grown the seedling and they've seen this happen, they thought, well, we like that, we'll keep that. There are some flowers which do change colour. So they are, that, uh, that's one there. Um, we did the aconites and we did beryl in the George over in, he's back in Romford. You had another one from Romford, didn't you? Did you have Well, yeah, I think I, he was asking before. I mean, in some ways we covered it. But he's asking about um, uh, transplanting shrubs. He's got some shrubs. Oh, he, he, oh yeah, we have. We've yeah, he's, it. I'm not sure. I think, he's, I think he'd had them in for a couple of years. He said some recently planted shrubs. So I mean, that could be yesterday, but I don't think that's <laughs> what he meant, really. Uh, but he wants to know when to uh, transplant them. So, uh, so obviously, the, the time, this time of the year, is an ideal time to transplant anything. The longer it's been in the ground, the harder it is to transplant things. Okay, But I mean, if, uh, certainly, if you've planted a shrub in the garden that's only been in for a couple of years, Generally speaking, you can do it now. The The real trick is to, to make sure that you try and uh, lift them and preserve the root ball. Um, if you're planning on transplanting something, you know, not this year, but into the next year, you can actually dig oh, you around the yeah. outside of them, put some compost into the ground, uh, and then prune the thing back a little bit, because obviously you've, you've weakened the roots. And when the roots grow out next year, they will grow into this more sort of fibrous mass of soil that we compost in, you can lift them more easily next year. Some things are easier to transplant than others. It depends if they're side rooters or down rooters. And also, it's whether they're fibrous rooted yes. or thick root. I mean, I always yeah. think of things like actually roses aren't that easy after no, a few they, years. They go down a long way, and they don't produce yeah. lots of fibre. No, laburnum, another one. Yeah, doesn't like being moved, does it? No, I mean, so, well, some things just don't like being moved. They resent it, and. Um, uh, it's, it's a tricky one, really, because... We don't the, know what he's asking about, do we? Yeah, the plant you want to move is just the one you've got there, isn't it? You know, let's face it, you didn't put it there. I think I'll plant it in the wrong place because <laughs> it'll be easy to transplant later. We, we don't have that sort of foresight in our mistakes. So. <laughs> OK, and we've got another email. Uh, my potted ace have got knocked by the window clip. How dare they? <laughs> uh, by the window cleaner. Um... Damaged branch around nine inches long with no side shoots on it, picture, in te- uh, picture included. Under the bark near the trunk is still green. Should I leave the branch on? Will it sprout side shoots or should I remove it? And if so, when? And in fact, it, it is it's quite a substantial uh, side shoot. It's yes. coming from a stem. I wouldn't remove that. I, it's about nine inches long. No. The, the, it's quite an established acer, yeah. isn't it? I mean, the thing is really, if it's... Um if it's just cracked, 
the tree can often uh, deal with a crack over time. Um, if it's broken to a stage where it's sort of hinged, if you see what I mean, so mm. it's actually mo- so you've got a, a big break in there. That's the time to remove it. So, but what I think what she's done is where it's been broken off the end, she's shortened it down to nine inches. Well, there's a chance that that will regrow, but it's worth working looking out for on an a series coral spot isn't it yes, on indeed. a branch yeah, like yeah, that yeah 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 i mean the, the thing is any any damage to a plant it includes pruning cuts as well but they're usually done quite carefully but any sorts of cracks breaks anything like that damage to the bark is somewhere where disease can get in so leave the branch on was mm. suggesting yeah. leave it see what happens in the spring yeah if it doesn't grow anything next year remove it yeah that, that's so, what yeah. you do yeah, isn't probably it? the best thing yes now rob's going back to he could, well, back to fruit trees again. Can you get anything that's worth spraying on fruit trees since they got rid of tar wash? That's a lovely question, isn't it? <laughs> because, I mean, my, my dad and, you know, yeah. many, many people's fathers used to use tar wash, didn't they? Yeah. And that's got rid of a lot of bugs in the winter, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah but, uh, but, but it has been... Um, removed. Uh, removed, it's been revoked from use. And uh, so it's not... I mean, what most people do now is not much you can do in terms of things which stay in the canopy. So things like woolly aphids and things like that can become a bit of a problem. Um, but for things like winter moths and things like that, things that are overwintering the, at the ground level, uh, what people are using now is grease bands. A grease band will stop them climbing, won't yes, it? Yes, yes. But, uh, but so it just stops them getting up into the canopy. But, I mean, it, it is problematic. There's, there's not really an awful lot you can do. I mean, uh, the, the main difficulty, of course, is um, if you spray something on during the growing season that's, that's systemic, it will go into the fruit as well. You know, see, so there are intervals in between when you. So can you've got apply to be very things. careful when you apply. I think things. so. Yeah, There's yeah. not much around either, is there? Not really. No. I mean, it's one of these things I always say. Like, you know, if you're going to use any sort of pesticides, you need to think about where it's all going in the end. You know, and if it's on, if if you're spraying it onto something which. Um, you know, is going to go into food you're going to eat. You've got to think carefully about: Would you go to the supermarket and it said may contain pesticides? Would you buy it? And that's that's a question you have to ask. That's yourself. an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. If it was labelled up differently, would yes. you react differently? Well, of course you would. I mean, if I yeah. may contain pesticides, well, it may remain on the shelf. Then you know, it's <laughs> as simple as that. You know, so it, we, and we we tend to sort of want to spray things. I mean, there are intervals where it's safe, you know. But I mean, then it depends on how. Uh, you view, you know, that sort of safety, really, you know. So, mm. so my, my view is that you need to sort of um, really try and work uh, uh, the right time of the year. So, if you spray around about the time that it's um, blossom, uh, of course, you're going to affect the bees. If you spray immediately after uh, the set of the fruit, there's a long interval between harvest, you know. So, it, it swings and roundabouts when it comes down to. It. But the, the, the winter tar wash was very much for things that overwintered on the plants. It was. It got getting in the crevices, got in the crevices, didn't yeah. it, and stuff like yeah. that. And well, there's a real problem on some uh, varieties of apples. Yeah, I mean, you do get, you've got winter sprays, but yeah. they're not as effective because they don't stay there yes, like yeah. the others used to. That's well, this was what the it's problem about. with the tar washes. It stayed yeah. there in the soil, everywhere in the environment. It was mm. a, really, it was a disaster. <laughs> not a good product. Well, I can even remember my old dad spraying, what is it, nicotine on fruit trees? Yes, <laughs> probably used... DDT as well. Yes, <laughs> all those great things that have gone. But... <laughs> <clears throat> they worked in their time, didn't yes, they? Indeed. Yes. Mary in Highbury has uh, Highbury. Oh, that's London. Mm-hmm. Um, she says she's got a small terraced garden, which you might have in Highbury. Mm-hmm. Um, it's semi shade, a semi shade, and she's got a border that's about eight foot long and um, three three feet wide, 
what could she plant in it in semi-shade? Well, really want a few shrubs and a few herbaceous, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. Ferns as well. Oh, ferns, yeah. Some of the ferns are... are and are some top. of them are evergreen, aren't they, as they well? They are, yes. Yeah, there's some very good ones. Uh, which you can, I mean, uh, basically, what I would recommend, if you want a bit of inspiration, is yeah. a trip down to the garden centre with a notebook... <laughs> Right, Don't buy anything, just a notebook. Yeah, go and have a cup of tea there, go on the bigger ones, have a cup of tea there and a cake and what have you. Enjoy yourself, walk around, take your, your notebook, or if you're of that sort of uh, persuasion, take your uh, smartphone, take photographs, make sure you've got the names, go back, have a bit more of a read about them, plan what you're going to put in there, so don't just buy them on impulse, and go back and then do your shopping. So you can do a little bit of um, sort of uh, detective work, if you like, now. Yeah. And then when you're looking up the plants, you may come up with other similar plants. Like, oh, that's another one I could be looking mm. for. So if you can't find that in the garden centre, you might be able to go to another nursery or buy it, mail order, online, etc. It's, it's always about planning. The, 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 the one mistake that everyone makes in the garden we is buy just plants. not planning. Yeah, so so you fail, failure to plan is planning to fail. <laughs> but Mary, it's, it's talking feet here. So I imagine she's not a twenty-year-old. No. Um, therefore, it's it. You can't tell whether she wants something traditional or whether no. she wants something a bit more modern. And as you say, ferns have become quite a modern plant. Modern plant that people are using today, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, I think this is a bit like, of topiary you it, could it, use. It just you? gets back to what I said about you know garden it's, styles and things. It like is, that. Isn't it? I talk to sometimes to design students at the um, at the. the University, as I say about after to contemporary planting, and I was like, "Well, what is contemporary? Contemporary is something you plant today." And that's um, right. For all the sort of philosophical questions, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that what was contemporary twenty years ago often isn't sort of something we might consider doing now because it's pushed along by all kinds of influences, such as the media. You know, if Gardener's World mention a plant, of course, that suddenly every garden centre in the country is selling out of that plant the next day. You know, so uh, so there is a, a certain amount of fashion about it. So I mean, I think, but if, I would stick by what I said plan what you're going to put in there and it would be far better now Ian in Colchester he wanted to know whether he could plant asparagus now uh, I'm just trying to think whether they're around Did, I say that you, have you seen I, I would say you probably you. could if you could find any just so you're saying yeah, I haven't all, seen it in garden centres for ages well you won't do yet because I mean they, they, don't, they don't lift it for about um, mm. until about February usually so you should be able to um, there's, there's not a problem with, plant, with transplanting if you had your own but I would generally wait till about sort of February anyway, because that's the time that normally you plant them. So they are. Yeah. Sit tight and wait. Indeed. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hub podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, don't forget that you can download this programme. Take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. If you've got a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on Saturdays on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme. Don't forget, every Saturday morning, it's the gardening phone-in, here on BBC Essex, from 11.